The views and opinions expressed on this podisode are solely those of the participants and do not reflect those of an unspecified yet peaceful government agency. We apologize for any mistakes we may have made which broke your heart. I think we're recording. At my end, it says that you're recording me. Okay, good. It also says poor connection, which is frustrating because I am at a hotel now in Surabaya, which is the largest city, I think, in Jawa Timor, East Java. And it's a couple days later because we lost connection because the power went out in my village. Uh, how are you doing, Matt? I'm good. I, uh, I'm in Ann Arbor now for grad school. Um, oh, at, okay. At, at U of M. Um, so it could be my connection too. I just I just moved into this apartment yesterday. Yeah. So you're about to start grad school, huh? I started. Today was my first day. Oh, what'd you guys learn about? <laughs> <laughs> we have we have like orientation to just like get stuff figured out. Uh, uh huh. My first, my only class today was on curriculum things and music um and it sounds pretty dry but it actually was um there was some good discussion so so far after one day uh-huh. and our highly educated listeners can or cannot confirm <laughs> the the difference i'm noticing with grad school versus like an undergraduate degree is it's far less about like the facts and information and more about like what you could do with that and discuss and disseminate from it. So I'm excited to do that versus like in 1942, blah, blah happened. Mm, Okay. What, but just out of curiosity, what did happen in 1942? Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't there. (laughs) Oh, that's fair. I wasn't there either. Anyway, you're, we have kind of a bad connection, maybe, and your voice sounds a little bit like a robot, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I, I turned into a robot. Yeah, I, sometimes yours is getting a little funky over here. Um, okay. Well, well, we'll see what shows up on the, on the back end. Uh, anyway, um, we spent a lot of time uh, last episode <laughs> trying to sing Brave Squirrel together. And at the end, I applaud you for just keep continuing on, and you did a really good rendition. So, I listened to the episodes that I made about, I guess, six months ago, back in December, with the other volunteers, and I had to cringe a lot during them. Because I was mispronouncing words, I was saying things wrong, I was just getting getting a lot of stuff wrong. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. Do you know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is? No. Okay. We haven't the gone Dunning- over that in my grad school courses yet. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's day one. Okay. You don't know that name, but I bet you have seen the Dunning-Kruger effect before. Let me explain it to you. 
The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias effect where once you learn a little bit about something, you think you're way better at it than you actually are. And let me give you an example. When I was an intermediate camper at normal summer camp, back in the day at normal summer camp, when you were an intermediate, you could do it all. You could do creative writing. You could do jazz improv on tuba. I also <laughs> took lessons in the standing bass, and I was good enough to play with the junior orchestra as an intermediate. <laughs> um, what else did I do? I also... You do know that maybe it was different then. I was just terrible. The junior the, orchestra is, is essentially just beginners. Yeah. And that's definitely where I was, but I wasn't as good as them. Um, (laughs) You were older. (laughs) Yeah, and I was much older. Um, But, and and it was not fun for other reasons, because I had to, I had to carry my tuba to my cabin in the intermediate division. I had to carry it over to main camp and then play it and then carry it back (laughs) every day. And after that, I decided I hated the tuba. Yeah, it's a long Um, way. Anyway, so here's my example of the Dunning-Kruger effect. When I was in my jazz improv class, after a couple days, I was like, huh, sometimes the the songs change key. (laughs) And (laughs) all I need to do to be really, really good at music is like figure out these keys and once i figure out like the scales i'm set and i even said that to one of the other musicians he was like yeah so how's it going and he was very polite uh and didn't say anything like you're you're pretty bad at this also you're playing the tuba which is weird for a jazz improv thing um and i was like yeah, man, stuff's really good. All I have to do is figure out these <laughs> scales and like, I'll be set. And he was kind of like, well, I'm not, that's, I'm not really sure that's how it works. I think there's more to it than that. But this is an example of the Dunning-Kruger effect because I had a little bit of knowledge about something. So then I vastly overestimated my abilities. And it turns out there's more to music than just knowing the scales <laughs> but <laughs> i i didn't really progress past that because i never learned the scales anyway um so with indonesia uh i understood a little bit of stuff it turned out that a lot of the things i thought were either misguided or just wrong <laughs> yeah that first podisode we did uh-huh. Where you are telling me all about Indonesia and everything you learned and everything you knew. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to go back and like fact check that now. <laughs> well, no, a lot of it, a lot of it, a lot of it is uh, accurate, but it's just, it's just not the whole story. Yeah. A lot of the things that I thought were really um, weird now make a lot more sense because I've kind of understood their context a little bit more but to be fair your thesis was (laughs) the entire country of indonesia is some sort of weird summer camp 
And, and I think I'm that still my pretty view, convinced. <laughs> my view is a little more nuanced than that. Okay. And here's another thing I need to say. I've been talking on my podisodes with the other volunteers a lot about Indonesian culture. And when we say that, what we actually mean is East Javanese culture. Indonesia is like 17,000 islands. There's five main islands. And there's a lot of different languages. There's a lot of indigenous people and there's a lot of different cultures. So what we've been ascribing, or at least what I've been ascribing to Indonesian culture is actually East Java culture. Um, I think, and I, this might be another Dunning-Kruger thing that American culture is way more homogenized. I've traveled around America and most people speak English, like the vast majority of people speak English. There's always a McDonald's, you know, stuff. <laughs> Is I mean, that, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, listener, if you're from the United States, you know what the United States is like. And I believe that it is more homogenized culturally than Indonesia. Now, that's not to say that there aren't cultural distinctions. If you go to the South, there will be sweet tea. And if you go to the North, <laughs> there will be less sweet tea. And it is the same on the island of Java. In East Java, Java Timor, uh, the coffee and tea are sweet. But I've heard that in the Sundanese culture of Java Barat, the coffee and tea are not sweet. But I've, I've never actually experienced that for myself. But <laughs> anyway, I just, just take all the stuff I say with a grain of salt because... I might not know what I'm talking about. And that really goes for the entire the entirety of my life too. <laughs> I was I was just going to say that's how I always take everything that you say. <laughs> it could very okay. well not even be Dunning Kruger. You could be <laughs> you could be Dunning Kruger in your explanation and it's two other psychologists who worked on the study. I think part of the the homogenization of the U.S. is that it's just far newer of a country than Indonesia, in, at least as it stands. Um, yes and no, okay? Because okay. historically, Indonesia is a bunch of different islands with a bunch of different cultures and a bunch of different kingdoms going back you know, since human beings populated this region uh, maybe 10,000 years ago. Actually, Homo sapiens probably arrived in the region we call Indonesia about 50,000 years ago. While trying to explain Indonesian history to Matt, Bones made a lot of quote-unquote educated guesses, which turned out to be misleading or just plain wrong. Also, my voice kept on cutting out. So, here is a highly truncated, fairly accurate oversimplification of the history of the fourth most populous country in the world. 
While anatomically modern humans, Homo sapiens, began to inhabit Indonesia around 50,000 years ago, an earlier species of human, Homo erectus, lived on the island of Java 1.5 million years ago. Because these people loved coffee, they were nicknamed Java Man. JK, they never got to drink coffee because they were all dead by the time Homo sapiens sailed over or took the Ice Age land bridge to the area we now call Indonesia. After the agricultural revolution, around 10,000 years ago, the archipelago was heavily influenced by a combination of Chinese, Indian, Buddhist, and Hindu cultures. These blended with distinct local island cultures as people traded and moved around. This is what happens in literally every civilization, but because Indonesia has tons of islands, there was lots of opportunity for local customs and languages to develop. Many kingdoms rose and fell, but the Majapahit kingdom in East Java was probably the coolest because they fought the Mongols and actually won. Seriously, Kublai Khan conquered Asia and half of Europe, but he couldn't conquer Indonesia, even though he really, really wanted to. By the end of the 16th century, Islam had become the most popular religion on the larger islands, especially for rulers and wealthy traders. But many groups maintained local religions and traditions. In 1602, the Dutch established the Dutch East India Company, which is very confusingly abbreviated with the initials VOC. European colonization is often very brutal, but the VOC seems to be unusually evil. Cloves only grow on four islands in the world, and the VOC was willing to bribe, manipulate, and kill any challengers in order to preserve their monopoly on spices, especially nutmeg and cloves. Cloves. When was the last time you thought, man, I would commit all sorts of atrocities if I could get some relatively cheap cloves? Come on, colonialization. The Dutch remained a power and expanded their influence in the region until the 20th century, when the Japanese invaded during World War II. The Japanese were hailed as liberators, but were still kind of atrocious to the local people. After Japan lost the war, Holland wanted her territory back, but Indonesian revolutionaries, led by Indonesia's first president, Sukarno, declared independence on August 17, 1945. This began a long conflict in which Indonesian armies and guerrilla forces clashed with the Dutch and, for some reason, the British. Finally, the United Nations and the international community was like, listen, Holland, you're not anywhere near Indonesia. No one in Indonesia likes you. You got some cloves, you don't need any more cloves. Let it go. The road to Indonesian independence was way more complicated and nuanced than that, but the end result is a country that is really big, really populated, and has a lot of different islands. Bahasa Indonesia became the lingua franca, but 90% of the population still learns a different first language. 
Some islands and regions resisted joining the Republic, either diplomatically or violently. East Timor voted to secede from Indonesia, and there is currently an armed conflict for independence in the province of Papua. There are also lots of ethnic and political conflicts that I don't have time to get into right now, even though they are very important. The point is, there are a lot of different groups living within the arbitrarily defined borders of what used to be the Dutch East Indies. Despite this, Indonesia remains a remarkably stable democratic nation. I think I could be wrong about everything. So it's, it's complicated. I think that America is way more homogenized because we aren't on different islands. And also, most people grow up speaking English. So there's not like a huge language barrier. Here, most people grow up speaking their local language, which there are 300 of them. I'm sure there's more, but there's like 300 main ones. And then you also learn Bahasa Indonesia, which is like a lingua franca, so that you can speak to people from other regions and other islands. So I think having a distinct language helps um, reinforce cultural norms within that language community. But again, I could be dunning Krugering it all over the place. <laughs> and I could just be talking out my butt. So I wanted to say some of that stuff. Sorry if I got any of that wrong. We've talked a lot about Indonesia and kind of some updates on it, which is important. I have, I guess I have like a serious question about Indonesia. And okay. then I also just want to make sure, because kind of the point of this podisode was camp has started. And I wanted to give a few very important words of wisdom to the current assistant directors, just so they're very prepared for camp. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, like as a teacher, the first time we talked, you just said school was like very different and you were there at a time when they weren't really in school. So you couldn't really judge like what has school been like in Indonesia as a now teaching in school there that is a very very important question and at first it was really really weird but i have started to understand the system a little bit indonesian schools are the same idea as uh, a school in the united states students come to school and they sit and a teacher says things to them and they write them down and they take tests, and then they go home. They also have similar extracurricular activities. There's uh, sports, there's music, there's speech and debate competitions, scouts, you know, like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. Mm -hmm. That's mandatory here. So they all do that. So those uniforms are fun. Oh, uniforms are a huge thing. Each day has a different uniform. So there's a uniform for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, because school meets, my school meets six days a week, and all the uniforms are different. And it's very, very important that you wear the appropriate uniform. Uh, it is very, very important that the students 
come to school on time, it is less important that the teachers come to school on time. Uh, because I'm going to say the traditional Indonesian classroom, I don't actually know. I only know the uh, East Java class. But I think it's like this across the archipelago. The students all stay in the same classroom all day. And the teachers move around. So my school has 27 classes of about uh, 30 students each, and they are in their classroom all day long. And then for different classes, like English class, we will go there and greet them and teach. Uh, we use mostly whiteboards and mostly handouts and games. And some classrooms have a projector, which is super tight. And some classrooms don't have a projector. So you have to check one out from the office. For me, it is a little difficult, this system, because you have to carry all your materials with you into class. And because the students stay in that class literally all day, every day, all year, they are very comfortable in there. So lots of times I'll walk in and students will be sleeping or playing on their phones or whatever, and it can be a little bit difficult to be like, all right, guys, it's time for class, because I kind of feel like I'm invading their space, and they want to get back to doing what all students, I think, universally like to do. Sleeping or playing on their phone. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a universal thing. There's a lot of testing here. There's a lot of testing. I don't know what the results are for. I know that you have to pass the test to move to the next grade, but I also know that if you don't pass the test, you get to take the same test again. There's still a lot of things I don't understand about the system. I guess because when you first got there, the students mm -hmm. were still doing a lot of stuff at the school, but they weren't in class. They were sitting in their classes, but they weren't learning anything. Yes. Yeah, so it just it kind of reinforces that idea like, that just becomes their space. Yeah. That's just a very interesting thing because I mean, we every school has those kids where like the school is their space. Every like American school has those those students where like school is their space and they're the ones who are there after school forever and ever just cuz like that's where they want to be, but the majority uh -huh. of kids are not that way. Yes. And so that's a very it's weird. <laughs> you know, it's like no one wants to hang out at school, but for you, that's kind of the, the culture. Yes. And the, the upside of it is this. Students are way more independent here and kind of to an amazing and impressive extent. I'll give you the example, which was last week. And Bones's voice cut out again. But what he was trying to say was that last week, the students organized a class competition between all the different classes featuring tug of war and volleyball and football and that thing where you walk on a plank and all sorts of relay races. And it seemed to be all student run and student managed to kind of an amazing degree. Uh, also, right now, as I am recording this, it is the first week of school, and 
the orientation for the new incoming 10th graders seems to be run almost entirely by the 11th grade, which is kind of amazing to me. Uh, for example, some students just walked in. They collected a lot of money. I don't know exactly what for because, again, I can't speak the language very well. But I asked them how much it was, and they said it was more than a million juta. Um, for comparison, that's about half my monthly living allowance. So I guess the equivalent would be a bunch of 11th graders walking around with thousands of dollars, checking off the form, making people paid. And I just don't see that happening a lot in the United States. And presumably that's happening in every classroom. They're collecting the money from the students. So students here have a remarkable capacity for organizing, running, facilitating events in a very professional capacity. Okay, um, back to the telephone call with Matt. The students made and printed out programs. They kept score, they did the schedule, they did the announcement over of the soccer game. They would say like, oh, he's going for it, goal! I assume, but in Bahasa Indonesia, <laughs> so I don't know what, what they were saying. Um, and the teachers were all in the Ruanguru uh, talking to each other. So the whole school competition was run by students. Here in America, we don't, we rarely give them the opportunity to do that kind of stuff yeah, without, we without us kind of, you know, playing puppeteer to it and making sure yes. it's done the way we want it, even though yes. it's like, oh, the kids did it, but really we're in the background like, well, I told them what to do. Yes. Um, and, and there may be more teacher supervision but, dude, I'll tell you, when I was walking around, like, looking at the tug-of-war and the ping-pong and stuff, I, I, I didn't see a single other teacher. So if they were supervising, they were doing it very stealthily. <laughs> Hiding behind shrubbery. <laughs> to be fair, there is a lot of shrubbery at my school. <laughs> There's a lot of um, fruit trees. But anyway, yeah, I guess this episode turned into more serious than we usually are so matt uh yes let's stop so this recording is not super long and then i'll call you back and we can give sage wisdom to the new assistant directors okay okay that sounds good all right all right bye bye <laughs>